Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to The Point. I'm your host, Noah Warren. Hope you're all doing well. It is a Tuesday, November 15th. We are halfway through the month, if you can believe it. I certainly can't. That We're halfway through November, and Christmas ugh, is on the horizon. Christmas. What's your, what's your guys' thoughts on Christmas? I am not the biggest fan of the holiday, I'll be honest. I I don't like social convention. That's something that I've always pushed back against is having to do things. I like helping people when I want to help them. You know, when somebody's when I see somebody has a load of wood, I can go help them. I don't mind doing that. When you see somebody that in need and you want to help them, but when it's like forced upon you that you have to make a meal, which I don't know how to cook, so I don't make the meal, then you have to go and then you have to do stuff afterwards then there's a religious component which of course i'm not supporting and i don't (laughs) i don't take part in so we're not that close to christmas but i already hear christmas music which is it's the worst music ever it's so bad christmas music there's no there's no song that's good christmas music that's that's my hot take for the day People that enjoy it, good on you. Sucks, if you ask me. But we got a, a bit till Christmas, but I just had to start the show with that today because we're getting closer and closer to old St. Nick coming back for another year. But today, it is November 15th. We got lots to get into. We're going to recap Monday Night Football from last night. Today I'm going to talk about UFC 281. Didn't get to talk about it yesterday. Going to chat about that a little bit. Talk about some NHL news and notes from the day. Got uh, some thoughts on college football. And Seamus Fillmore will join us as he does every Tuesday. He'll join us later in the show. About the time he did last week, about an hour and a half into the show. Maybe a little later. Second week at his new job. We'll hear how he's doing. If he's gotten in any uh, fist fights at the office yet, what kind of wonder if he's in an office, if he's in a cubicle. These are the kind of questions I have for Seamus. We'll get to that later in the show. But, you know, there's. I wanted to start the show with a positive note about last night and winning another bet. Three straight wins for yours truly, betting underdogs. Last day and a half has been a really good day for yours truly. Just making some money, and that's always a that's always a positive thing. But I didn't touch on this yesterday, and I, I should have. I forgot to, and I wanted to bring it up today. On this show, I've talked about school shootings before, and then just different tragic horrible situations that have transpired in the United States over the last two years, let's say. All preventable. And really, I mean, these go back. I mean, Columbine was a very long time ago. School shootings are prevalent in the United States. You could say it's the right to bear arms. People would would oppose that viewpoint. All I know is that it happens more than it does here in Canada. Well, yesterday, or sorry, Sunday, at the University of Virginia, a young man, a walk-on who tried to make the team at Virginia, who was then cut, a disgruntled, if you will, 
player decided to take a gun and start shooting members of the Virginia, Virginia football team and also other people on campus. He shot at least six people. He killed three members of the University of Virginia football team. And finally, he was apprehended. But three members of that football team have passed away. And Virginia, the school, I would say North America has been mourning since. We just went through midterm elections in the United States. I talked about it briefly last Wednesday, how I enjoyed watching the different coverage, how bad it is on both sides and everything in between. And I was told by somebody I respect, somebody that listens to the show regularly, that he likes that I can take it into my life, that I give my opinions on these type things. And I think people should do that. I am a Republican by nature. And that can be very bad right now because it's you take that stance, you're on the side of some people that I really don't agree with, some people that I find completely morally apprehensible, and it can be tricky. And in my view, taking the red stance, if you will, looking at United States politics, it means that you believe that you should have the right to bear arms and that that is the, the right way of thinking. To me, I've said this before, having the right to bear arms is not something that is necessary. It's not something that's needed. And it's completely, completely evident after every one of these school shootings. In Canada, we have weapons to hunt, but you need to pass hunter safety. You need to get your, your license to hunt. That is, you have to earn you have to earn your way into it, proving enough that you know what you're doing with the craft. In the United States, you stop in at a Walmart, you can buy a Glock, and before you know it, you could be shooting up a school. It's that easy. There's no background checks. There's none of this. People get guns. And it ends up in situations like this because it's people that are nuts that get a hold of them. It's not the purse, the father that buys a gun because he feels he needs one to protect his family, which I don't think he needs one, but if he feels he does, he does, okay. All I know is I've never had a gun. I'm 24 years old. I've lived with two parents for 17 of those years, 18 of those years, where they never had a gun. We our house never our house never got broken into. And I know many families that didn't. We never had a weapon on the premises. You had a security system. You lock a door. That's the course of action. If this young man did not have the ability to purchase or obtain a, a gun, those three football players would still be alive today because he would still be frustrated that he did not make the team and try to confront them physically? Or guess what? He likely wouldn't beat up these football players. They would take care of the situation. He had to get a weapon because he was a coward, because he's upset that his feelings were running amok, because he couldn't make the football team. 
and it's the people that are fake marginalized. It's these weak-minded people that end up killing others because they have poor social situations or they feel like it's not fair or they're just terrorists with a gun. And I'm not talking about Islamic terrorists or people come. I'm talking about United States citizens that are just terrorists killing other people. Guns are more and more of an issue because of the media today. Guys like Kyrie Irving, Kanye West coming out against the Jewish community. I heard this the other day. There are 16 million Jewish people worldwide. There, Kanye West has 37 million followers on Twitter. Meaning, if those people are weaponized, we could see another Holocaust. Yes, that might be jumping the shark a little bit, but guess what? The numbers bear out. There are more of us than there are that mar marginalized community. This is scary stuff. This isn't just, okay, it's another shooting. I said that at the last one, and this drives me crazy that all we can try to figure out is who needs to run on the Republican. And Joe Biden's trying to keep the seat at 80 years old to remain president of the United States in 2024. How about do something to change this in the United States? Then, if I was a United States citizen, I would consider voting for you. But it's DeSantis with his pissing contest and Donald Trump saying, no, I want to run for president. And Joe Biden not knowing what the hell he's doing because he's probably got dementia. It's complete nonsense. Nonsense what's happening in the United States currently. With our new style of politics, it's the permanent campaign where people are doing things just for today. Let's get a win. Let's have a good press conference. Let's make this decision so this group's happy with us. And it's about getting the most public votes of confidence, the most likes that you can get on a specific day. Making this political decision, making trying to get this approved through, through Congress is necessary. Because for everybody who says, I need, I need to have the right to bear arms because I need that right. How would you feel if that was your, your son today and he's, he's shot dead? This bothers me to no end because it happens every three months where you, you look at your phone, there's breaking news, and it's always something tragic. When there's a weapon involved and it's with a, a minor or some person that's completely unhinged, it's not going to be a positive story, guys. And we're in such a crazy, crazy world right now where there are people that are completely unhinged and people feel more and more emboldened to get their point across no matter what means it takes. And this is both sides of the, this is political sides. This is just day to day. People feel like they need to get their point across. So they make a documentary or they make a post and they shame other people. That can be done in very dramatic fashion.
we are just starting the wave of cancel culture, of let's grab attention, whatever we can do to be in the public eye. People are so desperate to be seen, to be heard, to be popular, that they are willing, grasping at straws, trying to do it. There are so and so few people that just are comfortable with who they are, that are comfortable being them, that don't care what others are trying to do. It was a statement yesterday by this young man that killed these three players. He will spend the rest of his days in prison. And I should have looked this up before, but watching other programs, I believe that Virginia has a death penalty. He should be euthanized. He should be killed. I believe Virginia does have the death penalty. If he doesn't, he should never see the light of day again. But he got his point across. He got his frustration out. And those three innocent football players don't get their life back. They don't get the second chance. This guy can, gets to continue to live despite his heinous crimes. Might be behind bars, but it, it's living nonetheless. I didn't want to go down this diatribe today. But politics are interesting to me. Policy. I took it all in university. I took many courses. It's, it's interesting. I wish there were better policymakers. I wish there were smarter people at the head of these organizations, at the head of the table. And it wasn't Joe Biden. It wasn't Ron DeSantis. It wasn't, it's not Donald Trump, Herschel Walker, for Christ's sake. That's who we have to deal with. Anyway, I my condolences to the families of these three football players. Truly, I don't even know what they're going through. I can't imagine it. The pain and just the anguish and for that school. They held a vigil last night where they just sat in silence at the campus and it looked as sad as it should be. It looked as hopeless as it should be. And now the cliches you throw in. It's about rebuilding. It's about getting this school back together, finding hope, persevering through these tough times. In reality, going through that part of it, going through the tough time, finding the perseverance, finding that belief again, wasn't needed if the right policy and if the right government, the right people were in place to stop this from happening. Unfortunately, they weren't. And Virginia and the United States is in the position that they're in. And until there's a change, I will not be surprised when this happens. I will always be sad, but I refuse to be surprised anymore because when there is a problem in your life, when there is a friction, anything, when you're angry at your friend and neither of you communicate with one another, it's not going to change. You're still going to dislike each other. You're still going to have friction 
and that will continue to linger and that will go on until somebody starts the communication, starts the conversation into rebuilding. When your child goes out at night, doesn't tell you, sneaks out, breaks curfew, and you don't do, you don't do and you're upset, but you don't do anything to stop that behavior, then don't be surprised when your child, when your when your daughter, when your son breaks curfew. When there is nothing to change bad behavior, the person's not going to stop the bad behavior. I can tell you. I knew I had a curfew from the first time I went out. And I knew if I broke that, I wouldn't be going out anymore. I respected the curfew. I respected the rules. When there's a law in place, enforce it. And yeah, you'll say, well, you can't kill people. You go to, you go to, you go to jail for murder. For us. It doesn't bring the life back. Police officers should have the right to hold a gun. You have a permit to go hunting in the appropriate season. You can have a gun. Just to have a weapon to go to the farmer's market because you don't feel safe. That's more about you than it is about the system. That's your insecurity. Go see a shrink. You don't need a fucking gun to go buy a couple cantaloupe and a box of wheat thins. Buy a taser, buy something. What, however you need to feel like a man, you need to feel strong, go get it. Otherwise, enough with this. Joe Biden, you're the president for now. Your presidency has been a pretty big failure, if you ask me. You look like a lifeless, like old lily pad most of the time. While you're in power, do something meaningful. Do something that will have some impact on your country. This can be the law that does it. I'm not saying it's easy to pass this law because there's a lot of Republicans. There's a lot of Republicans that don't push this law through. But there are ways of going about business. But I will tell you, it's yours. It's your job to protect your country, to put your country in the best position moving forward. Cops can only protect and serve so much. You're the leader of men. You're the leader of every man and woman in the United States. Figure it out. Staying in Washington, in a much lighter note, last night we saw the Washington football team and Philadelphia Eagles play in Monday Night Football. And I said this would be a better game than you initially think. You see the spread, which was 10.5 points, for, and you see Washington 4-5, and five, not a very good football team. But I thought this would be a good game. I thought this would be a close game, and it turned out to be exactly that. The Philadelphia Eagles were 8-0 to start the night. They leave the night 8-1. and one. And we have to start by saying salute the commanders. Today's podcast is called Salute the Commanders. And the reason I say that is the commanders did what they had to do. They won a division game last night on the road against the only undefeated team in the National Football League. 
That's impressive. Big picture from this game, as I look at it, I see a couple things. For the Philadelphia Eagles, their offensive line had their worst game of the season last night. That I'm not concerned about. Why? I think they have the best offensive line in the NFL. Every position group is going to have a bad game. It just happens. Every team has a bad game. The Kansas City Chiefs lost to the Indianapolis Colts in week three. Shit happens. They come up. You lose a game you shouldn't do. You shouldn't. The Colts tied the Texans this season. The Lions beat the Packers. These There's losses around the league that you look at and you're like, huh? How the hell did that happen? You play a stinker. Sometimes you can avoid playing a bad game and find a way to win it. Minnesota did this against the Commanders last week. The Eagles didn't last night. So I'm not concerned about their offensive line. Jalen Hurts got, had a lot of pressure. I thought the receiving core for Philadelphia didn't have their best game. Devontae Smith dropped a couple balls. A.J. Brown had a ball right down the field. It was in his lap. St. Juice, uh, sorry, Forrest found a way to pop it out and intercepted the football. That was a good throw by Jalen Hurts. So offensively, I don't particularly worry about the wash about the Philadelphia Eagles because I like their running attack. I still like Jalen Hurts. One loss does not change my like for him. Does it not change does not change my thought on him that he's a good quarterback? They have a good receiving core. The Dallas Goddard injury could be uh, could be threatening to me because I like him a lot as a they use tight end screens a lot in their offense. They get him in, in running slants. He's a weapon. He's one of the best tight ends in football. So his absence does concern me a little bit. My biggest fear with the Eagles is their defense. Last night, the Washington football team physically beat up the Eagles defensive line. The Washington football team ran the football down the Eagles throat and the Eagles could not do anything about it. Washington went 12 for 18 on third down last night. Their average third down a game was four yards, which is fantastic. Brian Robinson ran for over 100 yards last night. Antonio Gibson had a number of good carries. Taylor Heineke even kept the ball a few times. They did what they wanted to do. They ran the ball for five yards a carry, and they had... Four drives that went at least seven minutes. They completely chewed the clock. Washington had the ball for 24 minutes in the first half. 24 of the 30 minutes, Washington controlled the football. They did so well. Philly got the ball back with a minute 30 left. They got a three and out, and then Joey Sly hit a 58-yard field goal to walk it off. The commies did everything right in the first half. But they just ran, they controlled the clock, they ran the football, and I saw a thing that would concern me about the Eagles. And this is the same thing about the Cowboys. The Cowboys' defense is phenomenal rushing the passer and when you have a lead. I think the Eagles is very similar. 
you look at it, Robert Quinn, Fletcher Cox, uh, Josh Sweat. They got guys that can get to the quarterback. Brandon Graham. Stopping the run, they have guys that are meant to to rush the passer. They're not stopping, they're not run gap guys. Their linebackers aren't great tacklers. So that is my concern. Taylor Heineke was decent last night. He threw a horrible interception, which I'll touch on. They got the Eagles back into the game. But he wasn't phenomenal. He wasn't superb last night, but he did what he had to do. The running game won. And it it was pretty predictable. They were going to run the ball in first down. They ran the ball a lot in second down. And 12 of those 18 third down conversions, they ran the ball on seven of them. So over 50% of the third down conversions, they ran the football because it was short yardage and they had the option. And they weren't afraid to get stuffed by this Eagles front line. For Philadelphia, they need to get a lead. They need to get a lead because that is the way this defense is going to play, just like the Cowboys. For the Cowboys, you say, well, they had a 14-point lead on Sunday. Yes, but then Green Bay kept running the football, even when you're down 14, because the offense isn't scary enough to do anything. I think the Eagles can be more threatening because I think their offensive line, just to a man, is better than the Dallas Cowboys' offensive line. But we saw the chinks in the armor last night. So for the Eagles, it's about finding, stopping the run. Truly for them is stopping the run, filling up those gaps, and making that defense completely whole. But for the Eagles' offense, Jason Kelsey was dinged up on the third. They didn't have Jordan Malata. He didn't play. Landon Dickerson had a tough night. He took two holding penalties. So it was just an off night for that offensive line. I think their offense as a whole. A.J. Brown only had one catch. I mentioned he had one. His hands popped out, turned into an interception. Devontae Smith had four catches, but it was for under 50 yards. So it was just offensively, it was a bad night for the Eagles. But credit Washington. And this is where I go to Washington. Boy, if the Washington football team had started Carson, had started Taylor Heineke from the start of the season and not Carson Wentz, I think Washington would be a locked playoff team. Washington's defense is really good. Darren Payne, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, and we learned today Chase Young, the former second overall pick, rookie of the year who tore his ACL in the middle of last season, will make a season debut this Sunday against the Houston Texans. They can get after the passer, and they can also stop the run in Washington. Ron Rivera is a defensive-minded head coach, and that's he was on the 85 Bears team on defense. He's a good defensive coach. In Carolina, he had good defenses. He's had good defenses in Washington. They lost early in the season because their offense just simply couldn't put up points. Now, they didn't have Brian Robinson, who was shot. But Carson Wentz turned the ball over. He makes poor decisions. And quite frankly, the team just doesn't look as as inspired when Carson Wentz is playing as when Taylor Heineke is behind center. They just rally around him. They have a different sense. They have a different feel about them. And, you know, he's a journeyman. 
came from the XFL, played in the USFL, was cut by four different teams, and he's found a home in Washington. And he's had a lot of success just being Taylor Heineke, not doing too much, just being a complimentary quarterback. The Green Lizard just finds ways to win. He should be 3 0 as the starter this year. They threw away that game last week against Minnesota. But you look at it, they should be 3 0 and beat Minnesota and the Eagles, the two best teams in the NFC, if they don't throw that game away. Offensively, Taylor, Terry McLaurin is one of the underrated receivers in the game. We don't hear about him enough. He's a great receiver. Brian Robinson looks better and better. They still have Jahan Dotson, who's a rookie. They're still trying to blend him in. They have they have good they have some good weapons. They know what they know what they are as an offense. They know what they are as a team. And they're five and five after ten weeks. Well, down the stretch, they got Houston next week. That's the best matchup you can have. Then I believe they play the Lions, or it's another team with a losing record. So their next two games are against teams with losing records. You project that. That's two wins at seven and five. Then they play the New York Giants. Then they have a bye week, and they play the Giants again. I'm going to say at least they split that. So let's say eight and six. They have the Cowboys once more. They have the Eagles again. So they have four division games down the stretch. They also play the Saints, who are reeling. The Saints are completely a non-factor. I'm not ruling out the Commanders making the playoffs. I think it's unlikely. But the NFC East has good teams. Philly has one loss. They're going to make the playoffs. The Cowboys are likely going to make the playoffs. And I think the, Gi- the Giants are 7-2. and two. They're going to make the playoffs as well. I think the Commanders are going to be in the fight the rest of the way. They need to win football games. But also they, they can look at it and say, you look at it, Seattle 6-4. and four. They're leading the NFC West right now as they head into their bye week. You have San Francisco at 5 and 5. Well, they play each other I believe twice, so those are games that maybe they split, maybe San Francisco wins both. If you can edge out Seattle, maybe you get into that 7th seed in the NFC. Because no and if the Bucks are going to make the going to win that division, they're not going to make the no other team in that division is going to make the playoffs. So that that's right. Saints are done. Falcons are not going to make the playoffs, and I don't believe the Panthers are going to be good enough to come back either. So that's a write-off. The Rams are done. Rams are cooked. I said it two weeks ago. They are beyond cooked. They're, they are well, well done. The Rams can go home. Pack their things. Arizona, I don't believe in Arizona. They're 4-6. and six. They just won a game with Colt McCoy, but their offense looks more competent with Colt McCoy than it does with Kyler Murray because Cliff Kingsbury and, and Kyler don't have any connection. It's a disaster. I don't trust Arizona whatsoever. So, again, they have red flags about them. I just look at the situation in the NFC. There are a lot of bad clubs. Maybe Green Bay. But Green Bay's got a tough schedule. they got the Titans on Thursday. They have the Eagles later. they got Minnesota again on their schedule. I wouldn't rule out the Commanders making the postseason as the seventh seed in the NFC. Just finding a way to do it. Scraping and clawing to that final postseason spot. It's a bet I'd look at as a future because I think you'll get good money on it. But I like their schedule. 
and I like their team. Taylor Heineke is not a perfect quarterback. He's the green lizard, but he finds ways to win these games. That's why I said these division games are so interesting gambling-wise, and I didn't understand the 10 nap points. They're always tight, these divisional games. They're different. They're, they're more meaningful. It's more personal. Teams get fired up for these games. They want to Detroit beat the Bears and Green Bay in consecutive weeks. They were 1-6, dreadful. They win two division games in a row. That's not lost on me. They win two division games in a row. Maybe they throw up a, a lay an egg this week against the New York Giants because it's not a divisional game. And when they revert back to, oh, there's the Detroit Lions we know and love that just play bad fundamental football, and yep, see you later. But Washington's just a, a fight, man. That's what I can say about they They just they scrape, they claw. And their best trait about them is that I just think they're, bat, they're a battling team. They had a quarterback that's overcome adversity. They have a running back that's overcome adversity. I mentioned he was shot in the third week of the preseason. Shot. He's, he's getting carjacked and he was shot. He got shot in the leg. He, bought, he fought back from that. Ron Rivera's had cancer. He battled through that. He had to bench it. Carson Wentz got hurt, but de facto bench Carson Wentz. He had to get through that. This team, Chase Young, they've been without Chase Young all year. He's, a second, he's rookie of the year two years ago. He was, an all, he was a pro bowler. They've been without him all season long. They're 500. They missed Terry McLaurin for three games. They're just, they have the will, and I think they'll be able to find the way to be in the mix for the rest of the way. I, it's just the way I see it going. Maybe they win both games against the Giants. Who knows? They could lose both, but I think at least they split those two games. Maybe they don't beat the Cowboys. They don't have a whole lot of success against the Cowboys, Washington. But you've already beaten the Eagles. Maybe you could do it again. It's later in the season. Might be the last game of the year. You know, they play they play Dallas the last game of the year. You also got to think, what's Dallas playing for late in the season? Maybe they've already had, they had their slot locked up and Dak is being rested and you have a lot of your backups in there. Maybe then you're like, well, you got Taylor Heineke and you got starters out there against backups and you sneak into the postseason. Can always happen. But Washington plus 10.5 last night was a lock and they outright win the game. Not a surprise to me, as I said. Not a surprise to see Washington hang around and ultimately win this game. Now, the other side show about this it's funny, I talked yesterday about the Dallas-Green Bay game and how there was controversy during that game because of the officials. Well, there was two calls last night in this Washington and Philly game that were completely horrible to me, and I wanted to talk about them. First one, nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. Dallas Goddard seemingly fumbles the football. And I see it's real tight. He's got he's got the ball, and the ball comes out, and Washington jumps on it. This was just after 
the Green Lizard through a brutal interception. He's having a great game. They're going on a great drive. They have all kinds of time. He throws – you ever, as a kid, play jackpot? He threw the ball in the air. The corner could prepare to grab it. He was in perfect perfect place. He jumped in the air, fell down comfortably, no, no injuries, no bruises, and he got the interception. Two plays later, Dallas Goddard's got the football, usually shorthanded, and fumble comes out, Washington's on the ball, and it's Washington football. Well, on that play, Dallas Goddard, there should have been a call on the Washington defense for a face mask. That was a face mask blatant. It should have been a 15-yard penalty. Philly keeps the football, but there was no flag on the play. Okay. Here's my gripe with this one before I get to the second. All turnovers, all uh, touchdowns, goals, and every sport, because we got to use video review, all of these things are automatically reviewed. You don't have to use a challenge. You don't have to do any of that because it's automatically reviewed. Well, on this play, because they played it about 85 times last night on the mothership, with Joe and Troy in the call, we saw the view. Right on the chin, right on the face mask, he's wrapped him, then he punches the ball out. If you're going to review the play, which I am against, by the way, but that's the rules right now, and I am using this argument because that's the rules right now. If you're going to review the play, take time out of my night, make me go to bed later, if every turnover is reviewed, then why not, on the review, notice that Dallas Goddard was a defender, Forrest, committed a, a penalty, hit him with a face mask before, I'm going to point this out, before the ball came out. If you're going to review it, if every turnover is reviewed, the official should come out and say, you know what? There is a face mask on this play. Actually, it's a 15-yard penalty for Washington. First down, Eagles. Because if you're going to take the time, and if the definition, if the, the thought, if the, if the opinion is, we just want to get this right, then get it right. You didn't because you still reviewed it, and you said, well, nope, his knee wasn't down, the ball's up. But there was a face mask on the same play. Call it the right way. Yes, there was a face mask. Yes, there was a fumble, but there was a face mask first. Period. I hate this indecision. If you're going to review the play, which I am against, then get it right. Get the call right. Simple as that. Enough with this. Enough with this review where you don't actually get the you don't get the call right. You don't. Because you saw it, you saw the face mask, and you let the play go. You let Washington get the ball back. It's stupid. This rule is idiotic. So you have video review that doesn't actually help you whatsoever. My least favorite part of pro sports is video review. And part of the frustration is you don't even get the fucking call right. There's gripe number one last night. 
Should have been a face mask. They didn't call it. The ref was about a foot away from him. Didn't call it either. So, good God. Second gripe. Late in the game. Two minutes left. Eagles punt the ball back to the Washington football team. Taylor Heineke's got the football. They're trying to kill clock. Philly's still got some timeouts. Heineke's got the ball. He decides to put his knee on the ground. Looks like he's going to take a knee, but really the play's alive. He's scrambling. But he takes his knee to the ground before defenders get there. As the defenders are coming towards him, he puts a knee up like he's going to engage, like he's going to run. Brandon Graham then slides into Taylor Heineke, and the ref throws a 15-yard penalty for roughing the passer. Bullshit. Bullshit, malarkey, whatever kind of fraud you can say, that's not roughing the passer. Give up. Lay on the ground. Just say, come get, do a Tom Brady if you're going to give it up. Because you, you took, you're on your knee, but you were getting up to leave. You gave the impression that you were going to take off. Defenders have enough disadvantages. You can hardly put your hands on offensive players anymore. You can't hit the quarterback because if you hit, you hit the quarterback, then they get hurt. All this junk. That was not roughing the passer. I love the Green Lizard. I talked them up before. But that was him trying to have his cake and eat it too. And it's unfortunate, but the NFL allows quarterbacks to do it. That was not roughing the passer, period. It just wasn't. It's so frustrating to see that called for me because it ended the game. It was a first down. They, they ran the clock out and Washington wins. And they likely would have won anyway, but that would have been a third long for Washington. Eagles would have got the ball back with a chance to win. You need, I get it. You want to protect your quarterbacks. You want to have everybody safe. That was not the right. That was not the call there. He did not give himself up fully. He gave the impression that he wanted to try to get some more yards in that play. Well, the defender is trying to do his job. He's trying to stop Taylor Heineke from getting up and trying to pull a fast one on him. Not roughing the passer. If you ask me, not roughing the passer. Philly could have had a chance to win the game. I don't root for the commies. I don't root for the Eagles. But what I do root for is sufficient officiating for the right call coming in. In the Cowboys game, Jair Alexander should have got a rough, should have got a pass interference call against CD Lamb. It was pass interference. They didn't call it. Last night, Dallas Goddard should have got the benefit of getting a face mask call. He didn't get that. Last night, Taylor Heineke got a roughing the passer call that he should that he didn't earn. Those are three plays in two of the big biggest games in week 10 that had playoff implications that were called wrong. Those should be looked at. Those officials should not be put in positions to ref big games again. Because they were simply wrong. Again, NFL, to my point earlier, you need video review. All these sports need video review, and I hate fucking all of it. If you really, truly want to get the call right, these officials should not be in the big games because they're calling it wrong. 
Don't reward bad behavior. That's the theme of the day. Don't support somebody if they're doing something negative by giving them positive reinforcement because then they're going to continue to do that bad behavior. Washington controlled the game. They tried to give Philly chances, and they did give Philly chances. Heineke threw that awful interception. They, they, uh, the refs gave Washington extra possession. They didn't deserve a face mask. They got a roughing the roughing the passer call that they didn't earn. I understand the frustration. If you're a member of the Philadelphia Eagles today. Because you played pretty crappy last night. You got whooped on at the line of scrimmage, and you should still have a better opportunity to pull out the game. Brandon Graham had to come out at the end of the game and say it's on him. It's his fault. He shouldn't have handled it that way. Should have known better. No. No. You don't know what your opponent is going to do. When you're, when you're in a fight, when you're in the UFC, you continue to punch your opponent until the ref gets in front of you and stops the fight. Because if you give somebody a break, maybe they can recover. And before you know it, your ass is on the ground. That's the way it works in this. Who says Heineke's not going to get up and try to go scramble for a first down while, while you've already uh, surrendered the play? No. You play into the whistle. There was no whistle. It's selective officiating. And it's just, it's bad. Simple as that. It's bad. It's not right. I, I disagree with, with those two calls last night, and it benefited the commanders. Ultimately, yes, it, it benefited me because I picked the Washington football team to cover last night. I did. And like I said, I don't mind their chances to make the playoffs. I'd sprinkle that future bet. You can find it on a book. You can find these teams. Talk about NFL MVP. Patrick Mahomes is now really the outright favorite. I did find this funny. I looked up last night, and this is most books. The favorite to win the Super Bowl. We watched Sunday. We're 10 weeks into the season. For reference, to start the year, the Buffalo Bills were the overwhelming favorite to win the Super Bowl. After last night, after through week 10, the Buffalo Bills remain the betting favorite to win the Super Bowl. Why? I don't know, but clearly Vegas loves themselves in Buffalo Bills. So despite the losses to Minnesota, despite losing in Miami, despite losing in New York to the Jets, Vegas is still telling us the Buffalo is the team to beat. Those are aberration losses. That they're still the big bad Bills. I'm not buying it, but Vegas still has them as the favorite. Now, in most power rankings, the Chiefs are now number one, even surpassing the Philadelphia Eagles. The Chiefs are now at the top of the mountain when it comes to power rankings. When it comes to pure betting and odd the favorite to win the Super Bowl, the Buffalo Bills remain supreme. MVP, I mean, to me, the list right now, it's Mahomes. He's the easy quarterback for me. 
I don't have an easy number, another quarterback that just jumps. You know, Jalen Hurts, I think, still is there. But losing last night, he didn't play great. That downgrades it a little bit. But I mentioned it's only one loss. But I do think this season, guys like Saquon Barkley are very much still in the mix. He's having a great season, a resurgent season for the New York Giants, who had no expectations and are now 7-2 and two after nine weeks. Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill changed that Miami offense. And yeah, he's the overwhelming guy for Offensive Player of the Year. But does Tua Tagovailoa jump into the mix? If Miami keeps winning, if their offense continues to put up great points, if he has a great touchdown-to-interception ratio, can he get into the mix here? I wouldn't rule it out because I don't think there's a number of great candidates this season. There are guys playing good but not great, just like this season. There's not there's not many great football teams out there. You don't know who's going to win week to week. It's complete anarchy. Today we learned in the NFL that Cooper Cup, who was injured in the fourth quarter of the Rams' loss on Sunday to the Arizona Cardinals, he kind of went got high load where he was in the air. Defender went went low on him. He landed awkwardly. He is having ankle surgery today, and he will be out at least four games, according to Adam Schefter, because he's put on long-term injured reserves. That means you're out four games. But as Schefter wrote in his tweet, it's likely to be longer because the way the Rams season's going, they won't be in the playoff hunt if this keeps going sideways. The Rams have the worst record after 10 weeks for a defending Super Bowl champion in league history. The three and six. The worst record following a Super Bowl in league history after 10 weeks. And they look hapless. No Cooper Cup. They can't run the football. Stafford's concussed. No offensive weapons, no heartbeat of that team. Sean McVay, I think he regrets not going into a booth. I think he wishes he was with Al Michaels calling just terrible Thursday night football games right now. Making a whole lot of money to work one day a week. Does Aaron Donald regret coming back? He hasn't been as good as he usually is this season on a really bad team. Matthew Stafford won a Super Bowl. Yeah, he's still middle-aged, but he could have walked into the sunset. Maybe his Hall of Fame chances would have been better if he walked out on top. The Rams are likely going to finish with the worst record in the NFC West. Arizona is 4-6. and six. They have a better record than the Rams right now. And I think they'll have a better record come the end of the year. The Niners will definitely, and so will the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle, I mean, it was a turn of events. They have two games against the Rams in their final seven games. That is a win. You At the beginning of the year, I said, this is tough. You get the Rams twice, you want that. 
Seattle to pull, you know, pull the incredible. They're six and four on their bye week. You come back, you can find a way to get to the playoffs. You get the Rams twice in, in your last seven games. You'll take that every day of the week. Every day of the week, you will play the Rams now. You root for that. It's crazy how things change so quickly. It's a crazy, crazy NFL season. My lock playoff teams, AFC, NFC. I'm just saying locks. Kansas City, a lock playoff team. I'm going to say the Tennessee Titans are a lock. The reason I say Tennessee is a lock because their division stinks so bad. The Jags aren't going to make that up. Houston's done, and the Colts... I haven't seen enough with Jeff Saturday, and they got a tough schedule. I have Tennessee as a lock. I have no faith in the team whatsoever to do anything in the playoffs, but they will make the playoffs, no doubt about it. I can't put the Bills as a lock. I simply can't because, and do I have any faith in the Chargers? Absolutely not. I don't. Their offense is one-dimensional. They don't help their quarterback. It's it's ugly in Los Angeles. But again, the Bills got to play the Dolphins again. They got to play the Jets again. They got to play the Patriots twice. Those aren't easy games. The Bills are no longer oh, okay. Let's just mark it in as a win every week. No, that's that's put to bed. I have Baltimore on that list. To me, Baltimore is a playoff team. They got an easy schedule. I pointed it out last week. They got Carolina this week. Oh, and by the way, PJ Walker, their former starting quarterback, has a high ankle sprain. Baker Mayfield will be the starting quarterback this week for the Carolina Panthers. Oddly enough, I still want to sprinkle some money on the Carolina Panthers. I don't want to give up on these Panthers. They're a big dog against Baltimore. We'll talk about it more on Thursday. But Baker Mayfield starting for the Panthers. I'm not giving up on them yet, but I have Baltimore as a lock. Might be betting on Carolina to cover in that game. Those are my three locks in the in, in the AFC. I have Miami. I'm almost tempted to put Miami there because I think their offense is so good, but they do have a tough schedule down the stretch. So I'm going to go with those three. NFC. I have Philly. I'm not panicking on them yet. I believe they will make the playoffs. I had them as a lock. Minnesota, absolutely. They're 8-1. and one. Their division stinks. Minnesota will make the playoffs. They, and now they have a, a chance to be the one seed. Because Philadelphia's got a much more difficult path where Minnesota is going to get to play the Bears again. They get to play the Lions. They get to play the Packers. All teams that losing divi- losing records in their division. I'll take that. I feel like Tampa is a lock for me now. They're going to start to play better football, and I'll put, put this right now. Don't be surprised if the Buccaneers are in the Super Bowl. Don't be surprised. I picked San Francisco at the start of the year to play Kansas City. I still feel good about that prediction, but Tampa's starting to find it. Tom Brady's gotten through his divorce. He's gone through all the drama. 
I'm not going to be shocked if I see Tampa Bay in a Super Bowl at the end of the year because they just find a way to put it together. Just a feeling I have right now. Just a feeling because I've seen it before. I'm putting San Fran as a lock because I had them to make the playoffs before the year. I'm going to keep that way. They're not that impressive. Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't played good football all year. He's played actually worse than I think he usually does. But again, it's, they find ways to win games. They got Arizona this week on Monday Night Football in Mexico City. They have to play Seattle down the stretch here. San Francisco does one more time. They got to play Miami in San Francisco. So they do have some tough games looking ahead, but I like their team. I like their roster. They're uber talented. I think they'll only continue to get better in San Francisco. Other than that, I can't. I don't have any other teams. I don't believe. Giants are really. If the Giants win this week against Detroit, I think they're they'll be eight and two. After ten, after you know, through ten games, you really have to go down to tailspin not to make the playoffs. Being eight and two in the NFC, so I'm going to wait a week. Dallas is six and three. They're not a lock for me yet. They're six and three. They got Minnesota this week in Minnesota. They're a road favorite, which tells you everything you need to know. They lose this week, they're 6-4, and four, and then they go into Thanksgiving and they have the Red Hot Giants. They need to continue to find ways to, to win, continue to prove, because I thought they were the second best team in the NFC, but they need to put themselves back on that pedestal, continue to, to push through. We'll talk more NFL as the week goes on. As I mentioned, Ben Murray will join me. On Thursday, we'll talk about all things gambling in the season so far. We'll talk about his Patriots as well as where they sit. They play the Jets this week. But it's it's a wide-open league. Teams are still finding themselves. But I do think it's starting to take shape a little bit. It's just what teams in the middle can claw their way into at least quasi-competition, quasi-competitive to being in the mix later in the season. Number of NHL games last night that caught my interest. I was watching Kings Flames alongside the NFL game, and it was a wild one. Two teams that really don't have much defensive structure. Two teams that the goalies didn't look ready to play. And two teams that I think will be in the playoffs come that time of the year. But they both showed showed a lot of weaknesses last night. Number one, for, for the Calgary Flames, one of their biggest problems is also the, the guy that can be their biggest solution, which is intriguing, optimistic, and also problematic all at the same time. Jacob Markstrom was completely lackadaisical last night. He did not look motivated. He did not look involved. And he's looked that way for much of the season. The second Arthur Kaliev goal in in the first period, completely irrehensible, just not, there's no way that can go in. He's not getting to his post. He's not in the right position. 
He banks it off the pad and it goes in. It can't happen. Can't go in. You need to be prepared. He wasn't ready for Kaliev throwing that puck to the net. You need to be set. You need to be in position. He just wasn't. Can't happen. Brutal goal from Jacob Markstrom on that play. He had a couple. The Kopitar goal was another stinker. They. He just. To me, he's been horrible all season long. For the Kings, they're extremely fast. Defensively, they need some work. They are a risk it, risk reward team. They love to counterattack. They love. They're they're like a team that loves an NBA fast break. They see an opportunity, four to five guys jump in a rush. And I'm not kidding. The two defensemen jump in, and before you know it, there's breakaways the other way. It's the three-on-one, and the team's in trouble. So they risk a lot because they have so much speed. There's so much youth on this team. There's a lot of exuberance. But there's no thought to, okay, we need to play defense as well. And that's the problem. Jonathan Quick is not what he used to be. He's not He's not the goalie of 2012 where he's going to bail you out when you're playing poorly. And by the way, those teams in 2012 and 2014 that won Stanley Cups were good defensively. And they do have good defensive players on this team. That gives me hope for the Kings. Philip Dano, one of the best defensive centers in the NHL. Anze Kopitar is very reliable offensively. Drew Doughty always is in good positions. He is a good defenseman. But you look, you have Matt Roy, who has his growing pains. He had his ups and downs last night. He made some really good offensive plays in his own zone. He turns the puck over. He's overthinking it. He's making the high leverage play and not the smart play. And before you know it, ends up in the back of the net. Sean Dursey, I like a lot offensively. His defensive positioning, being in the right area, understanding who's your man in defensive coverage. That's something the Kings truly struggle with. For instance, Matt Roy doesn't understand that, okay, that, that guy in front of that, that's your man. You need to cover him. You, you, you can't, you got to box him out. You got to take advantage. You got to find a way to get to, to get, get in front of him. That's not, that's part of the NHL when it comes to defending. Now, and there's, there's no thought to, okay, that's my man. I need to get in front of him. I need to do something about this. It's just, okay, well, I'm over here. If the puck comes here, I'll, I'll take care of it. Or, well, there's a guy skating over here. Maybe I'll take him. And there seems to be breakdowns continuously, in particular with young teams and young players, of just who is your man and who can you cover. See that with Matt Roy. Mikey Anderson is another guy for the Los Angeles. They, just have, they have a young defense score. They have a young team. They can score with anybody. I will say that. They are they are flying. They're fun to watch. But they have some problems. So Markstrom's brutal with the Flames. He gives up five goals. They were up big at one point. They're lucky to hang on. For Calgary, they, they won two in a row, and they've beaten Winnipeg who was playing phenomenal, and they beaten the the Kings last night. The Kings were a playoff team last year. The K, uh, Jets were not, but the Jets have looked phenomenal to start the season. For the Flames, they need just to put together wins and, and find some confidence. Something to take out of last night, Elias Lindholm and Tyler Toffoli played really well together, and Elias Lindholm is the best player on the Calgary Flames, and minus the goaltender, he's the most important. 
because asking Jonathan Huberto to be the straw that stirs the drink into this team competing night in, night out is not a good solution. It's not going to work. Jonathan Huberto is a skilled forward who's going to do what he's going to do, and you have to live with it. Simple as that. That's just the way he approaches the game. There's nothing wrong with it. There are so many wingers in the National Hockey League that are not the best player on their respective team, and they can get away with that mentality. Phil Kessel did it in Boston. Phil Kessel did it in Pittsburgh. Uh, Bill Nylander does it in Toronto. I mean, you go through the league. Charlie Coyle in Boston on, on good teams. This happens. Huberto is the quote-unquote man in Calgary. And to the untrained eye, and if you're not watching the Flames nightly, you would think John Huberto is the best player on the Flames. He isn't. He's not the he's not the most important player. And I think the leader of the Flames team is Elias Lindholm. Also, Toffoli is really important too because Toffoli has been on winning teams. He's won two cups in Los Angeles, and he got to a cup final in Montreal on a team that was just on an incredible run, and he had a phenomenal season for Montreal. He's a Daryl Sutter guy, and Daryl had him in L.A., he works hard. You have two guys that are skilled that work extremely hard. They'll battle along the boards. And you pair them with Andrew, Andrew Majnapani, who is another grit, gritty guy who's not afraid to get his poke his head in, in a pile to throw a punch to get to the front of the net. You saw some connection. You saw them score goals. Huberto did score a goal last night, which is great for his confidence to get him on the board and get him feeling good. But it, what I can say is, is you won two in a row and you saw a line that had a connection and had some success last night. Defensively, you were atrocious. Your goaltender was horrid. But you had a line that found some connection that had some success. And that's a positive thing. Lindholm finding a guy night in, night out that he can play with, that's something to look at. I don't, The way they played together... I thought, I mean, everybody thought, you trade away Goudreau, who played with Lindholm and played with Kachuk. And Lindholm and Goudreau were just going to work out, work well together. It didn't. And Daryl saw it and said, enough of this. I'm going to change it up and see what does work on this team. I have a blank canvas. I can do whatever the hell I want with this painting. And he said, you know what, Toffoli's a grinder, but Toffoli's also got one of the best releases in the National Hockey League. Elias Lindholm is a guy that works hard but can finish along the net extremely well. And Machinapani is a worker. Maybe this line can be a skilled worker B line, and that's what they were last night. For the Flames, the best thing you can say about them is that they're in this division. You're in this division with a lot of bad teams. Seattle's third in the Pacific right now, and nobody has any faith in the Kraken. Nobody thinks the Kraken's any good, but they're they're right in the mix. Keeps the Kraken relevant that they get to play against teams like Calgary, gets to play teams like San Jose, Anaheim. That that gives you life, that gives you hope that maybe you can overcome it. So credit for Calgary for getting a win, but I do not think this team is all the way back now. They've won two in a row. Two's great. Go on a stretch. Be New Jersey. Be Boston, who are 14-2 in their first 16. 
Just find a way to play night in, night out the same way that you did the, the previous night. You're not going to win every game. You'll play games where you play really well and you lose. But can you play the same way, the same efficient way, night in, night out? And for Markstrom, wake up. Wake up because your teammates are starting to play better. You need to be a part of that solution as well. Ottawa, New York. This was a 6.30 start with Albertson going in the Hall of Fame. I like a 6.30 start. I mentioned it on the show yesterday. I wish they did that more often, but they don't. But I, I like that early start. Go home, catch a game. Thomas Shabbat's out with a concussion. He was hurt Saturday against the Philadelphia Flyers. My biggest thought about this game, just in general, Thomas Shabbat being out hurts the development, hurts the, the play of Jacob Bernard Docker. Because I think Jacob Bernard Docker was a perfect fit with Thomas Shabbat. Thomas Shabbat's a running gun defenseman who wants to take more offensive zone opportunities. He wants to jump into the plate. I think he wants to have more of an offensive impact on this team. He's not a great power play guy. He's been taken off of it at times. But I look at him and say, you have offensive creativity. You're a great skater. And you're extremely aggressive. So when you have a defenseman that wants to push the play, that wants to be involved offensively, that wants to get his cookies, you need a defenseman that is going to fit. And Ottawa had this. They had Eric Carlson, who was better than Thomas Shabbat ever will be in Ottawa, but the point remains the same. You had Eric Carlson and Mark Mathot. Mark Mathot was a stay-at-home defenseman who knew what his job was. He made the right play, kept the puck in, kept, kept the cycle going. And if there was a two-on-one, he was in a good position to try to keep the puck out of his own net. Well, Bernard Docker is more talented than Mark Mathot. They are different, but I think Bernard Docker is just a really solid defenseman. He doesn't make many mistakes. I don't think he takes enough chances, in my opinion. I think he could be involved more offensively. But over the last three to four games where he played with Shabbat, I saw he, he fought on Saturday afternoon. He was challenged by Travis Konechny. Konechny kind of ran into him. Konechny said something, probably something to the nature of, well, you're not that tough. You're just a little kid. And Bernard Docker dropped the gloves right away, and, and he fought him. He didn't need to fight, but I think he did it to prove a point. He wants to be an NHL or he doesn't want to be pushed around. That's a check mark for me. He throws the body around a little bit. I like that. I think he's got really good hockey sense. And, again, he just fit perfectly. Shabbat's out. He's playing with Brandstrom. Brandstrom's a turnover machine. I thought Brandstrom was going to be a lot better. He just hasn't turned into a great defenseman with the Ottawa Senators. He was in, he was in a part of the Mark Stone trade. So he's he's got problems. It just it's not as good of a fit. And I think that was the I think Shabbat like playing with Bernard Docker. I think Bernard Docker was really enjoying getting the opportunity to play with Shabbat. That's gonna hurt his development over the next couple of weeks, at least a week until Shabbat returns. I talked about the Islanders yesterday. I think they're there's they're back to being the old team. They're fundamentally strong. They get good goaltending, they got a good tandem with Sorokin and Varlamov. They don't make a whole lot of mistakes. 
They got guys that can score. Noah Dobson, my namesake. Well, like his namesake, and I'm just a part of it. PEI, born defenseman. He's got five goals on the season. He had two points yesterday. He's playing great. He's right. The power play is going through him in New York. I'm happy for him. He looks so much more confident. He is a true NHL defenseman. He got a, a contract extension in the offseason from the Islanders. You got Barzell and you have Dobson. I think these two guys are offensively creative guys. Anders Lee and Brock Nelson are, got, are two really good finishers and guys that work really hard along the boards. You have Oliver Wallstrom who scored a power play goal yesterday who can rip it like anybody in the NHL. He's got a great shot. Kyle Palmieri is contributing Parisi. I, I like this, this Islanders team. They're not flashy. They'll never be fun to watch, but they play a good defensive system. They got the players that can run it. And I do think it's not just Barzell anymore with no offensively, no creative guys. Dobson's coming through for me. I, I think Wallstrom has more to his game than just a great shot, but that doesn't hurt either. He's going to be in position to get goals for this team. And Anders Lee is a guy that does have a whole lot of skill, and he, he finds ways to get involved in the game one way or the other. It can be through checking and being really good defensively, but also stepping up. What, what can I say about Ottawa? I mean, Giroux's been fantastic. Stutzel's been very good. Batherson's, Batherson's been solid. They, they have no depth. Their defense core stinks. They have no depth on defense. They make one critical mistake a game, and it costs them. And they'll lose the game by a goal. Yesterday, too, it's an empty netter. What happened? They threw the puck up the boards to nobody. Noah Dobson stepped into the zone. He wired a slap shot. Talbot should have made the saves. He, he didn't. It went in the back of the net. You lose, it was 3-2 at that point. You get an empty netter. You lose the game 4-2. Sometimes it's as simple as that. I see that all the time on auto. They make one critical mistake a game, and it caught. They just they can't overcome it. They're not a good enough team to overcome that one mistake. You can't have a massive blunder when you're a team that hasn't proven to be a a juggernaut. That's a that's a great team. They're good. They're not great, but. Every game, they seem to have one major blunder, and they lose it. DJ Smith seems more and more pissed off at this team. Sure did yesterday, leaving the bench after after the loss to the Islanders. But this Ottawa season's already in the crapper. They're not out of it yet because the, the Atlantic division's been such a train wreck. Where both Florida teams have been very good. Toronto's been mediocre. They're 500. Buffalo skidding again. They've lost six in a row now. Boston's been the only great team. Detroit's been pretty good. But Ottawa needs to find it now. They, I said they couldn't go through another bad start. They've had another bad start. And thankfully for them, this isn't like last year where the playoffs were decided by December 1st. Teams are still trying to pull themselves up and find their game on a night-to-night -night basis. Ottawa included. St. Louis won the third game in a row last night over the Colorado Avalanche. 
The Blues did not fire Craig Berube, and they've turned it around. I still think that was a good take, that the Blues could have fired him and brought over Barry Trotz. I think that could have worked. I think that was a solid plan. They, they went a different way. I don't blame them. I, you know, clearly, it's working out for them. Ryan O'Reilly has been great. So has Braden Chen, and Jordan Bankins found his game. What is impressive to me about this is it's not a stretch where you beat Anaheim and then you went into San Jose. You've won three in a row, but two of those three wins were against Vegas, who had one regulation loss at the time, and the Colorado Avalanche, who are, who are really starting to find their groove. Miko Rantanen is third in the NHL in points. The guy's ripping it up. He's got 11 goals on the season. McKinnon is getting point after point. Colorado starting to find it. Georgiev is winning every start he's in. Colorado looks like a team that's finding their game. Seattle, so St. Louis needs to continue to do it. Robert Thomas is getting points. They're starting to play better. Just an all-around team game. But they had a divisional game last night against Colorado, a team they lost to in the postseason. I think the game meant something to them last night, and they battled and found a way to win that game. That's the most impressive thing. It's not some lap dog of an opponent. You found a way to beat a team that has gotten the better of you in a big moment. You scraped, you clawed, and, and you did it. Simple as that. So kudos to St. Louis for finding a way to get the two points last night. And also, and both these games are on the road. You go to Vegas, then you go to Colorado on a Monday night. I look at this team, and I still think they're one of the best teams in the NHL. I really do. To me, they're a top 10 team, if not higher, by the end of the year, with what the core they have on their team and just the players around them. Through 15, 16 games, they're by far the biggest disappointment, but they also have the most creativity. They have the most options to get back in into a race, back into a position where they can compete with every team in, in the uh, central because they have the pieces to do it. They have the ability to overcome it. So kudos to them. Also last night, Carolina beat Chicago. Carolina gets a win in Chicago. Not a big surprise. If we look at the new coaches around the NHL. And you think of teams, Luke Richardson's done a really good job in Chicago. Sure, the GM, Kyle Davidson, the owner, are not thrilled. But new coach bump has worked. Peter DeBoer has been fantastic in Dallas. They're winning every game, seemingly. They're playing Tampa tonight. Bruce Cassidy in Vegas. Overwhelming success. No surprise from me. Jim Montgomery in Boston, uh, you think? 14-2 over the first 16 games. And boy, do they look good. Vegas has a similar record. Boston's the best team in the NHL right now, power rankings-wise, just because the way they play. The way they move the puck, the amount of guys that can finish on a given night, their goaltending has been sublime. Boston is just – they played Vancouver Sunday. That's not even fair, that game, because Vancouver is so shit, and Boston does so many things well that Vancouver would kill to add half of that skill, just half of that wherewithal that they have on that team. That they just simply don't have. 
all these coaches have been really good finds. Even Torts. Philly's playing a new brand of hockey. They're competing night in, night out. They're involved. They're they play inspired hockey. They're not they're still not a great team. They don't have a whole lot of skill. They're missing a lot. They're without Couturier. They're without, you know, Giroux's no longer on the team. Obviously, he's in Ottawa. Carter Hart's been really good. Sandheim's been good. But you look, Konechny and Kevin Hayes are your are go-to scorers. They have no JVR. And Philly's in the mix. Philly's in the mix. So all these new coaches, the new coach bump, I think has definitely worked. Has definitely worked. First coach fired. I looked that up this morning. You can bet on that. I know it seems barbaric. Top three. This is, I'm going to go three to one on odds. First coach fired. And again, this is, you can bet on this. I get it. Probably shouldn't bet on this, but you can. Number three was Craig Brube. Now, Craig Brube has not been fired yet. Barry Trotz came out today and said he's not received any offers from teams, but he would be interested if they came calling. So basically, I think he did an interview today to let teams know I'm open for business. If you want me, come get me. You want some, come get some, as John Cena would say. Maybe that'll open the door for one of these teams to pull the trigger. But Craig Berube was number three in St. Louis. They're starting to turn it around. I think he's safe for the rest of the year now. I'd be surprised if they went in a different direction. Number two on the list was DJ Smith. DJ Smith in Ottawa. He got a vote of confidence from Pierre Dorian last week, but this team always has awful starts. That does have something to do with coaching. It does because you have you, you got a better roster, you got better goaltending, your forwards are better, your game plans have to be better. Every season with DJ Smith, you have shit starts. Your October's and November's are crap. That falls on you. Yes, it falls on the player, but it's also about preparation. It's also about every year looking at it saying, well, he didn't do anything to get us better better prepared to play in the first couple months of the season. That's fair. First, there's a tie for first. Yes, there is a tie. Dallas Eakins in Anaheim. And Bruce Brudro in Vancouver. Dallas Eakins has coached in Anaheim for over three years. He's never made the playoffs. Actually, he's never made the playoffs as a head coach in the National Hockey League. Toronto, Edmonton, or Anaheim. So, not a great track record for Dallas Eakins. He's got a crap roster in Anaheim, but they're losing a lot of games and they're sending players down, and there's not a, whole, not a whole lot of positivity. Maybe you shake up the coach. You're not going to win anything. You're going to have a high draft pick. You're hoping for Connor Bedard. But maybe you find something your team is more inspired, and you feel better about the team later in the year. I don't know. I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to fire him, but maybe they will just for optics and just for a new tone setter in Anaheim. Bruce Boudreau obviously is high on this list for – Odds for a coach to get fired first this NHL season. 
Because that team has no life. They have no character to it. They're hapless. They play against the Buffalo Sabres tonight, and Buffalo's lost six straight. They don't play until Friday, Vancouver, after this evening. They've been on an Eastern road trip. They go home. They play Los Angeles Friday night. Now, they're, playing, they're paying Travis Green to not coach, and they're paying Brucey Boudreaux, so if they fired him, they have to pay two coaches to not coach. But the way Jim Rutherford's been talking about Bruce in the media and the way this team just – the way they played in the second and third period against Toronto on Saturday and the way they brought it back against Boston on Sunday, that was like watching the Harlem Globetrotters against the Washington Generals. It was just a complete no-show. So with those two five periods of lifeless effort – And if you lose tonight in Buffalo, it wouldn't shock me if we would tomorrow come showtime if Bruce Boudreaux is no longer head coach of the the Vancouver Canucks. Mike Yo become head coach. The team will still stink. The team will still be selling. Bo Horvat will be traded in all likelihood. You'll have to look over your roster and make big decisions. But it, I want, I'm not going to rule it out because I look at it and I just don't see. I don't see a solution. I don't see it getting better. The defense core is not getting better. Your depth is not getting better. The one thing you could say is Thatcher Demko could play better in net. Spencer Martin's been better than Thatcher Demko this season. Not an opinion, just a fact. Numbers, you watch the game, throw on the tape. He's been better. Spencer Martin. I know. Just saying. That number one on the list, you lose tonight to a Buffalo Sabres team in Buffalo, and you have, a, you have two days to fly home Make an announcement, get a couple practices in with a new coach before you play the Los Angeles Kings, who will play their third game in five nights of a a Western Canadian road trip. I wouldn't rule it out. Jim Rutherford might not be allowed to fire Booz Boudreaux, but the Akalinis fire people. They get pissed off. They hate losing. And the people of Vancouver don't accept losing well. If you're going to lose anyway, you might as well get Connor Bedard, and maybe that's to be the thinking moving forward. And you'll just say, hey, we're going through a transition here. Bruce wasn't the coach for it. Put it this way. If you're going to fire a coach, why do it later? Do it now. If you already have the note written, if you already have the press release, if you already have the thought in your head, you might as well just pull the trigger and do it. Fan City. Buffalo tonight. Surprisingly an interesting game. But also, I watch a lot of hockey, everybody. I watch some bad teams. I watch a lot of different teams. Vancouver is the toughest watch. More than Arizona. More than Anaheim, quite frankly. Even San Jose, who I hate watching because they're boring and they have nothing to bring to the They have a bunch of old players that aren't any good anymore. Vancouver's the worst because they have, and it is comical 
to watch because they are so bad in so many facets of the game, truly. Defensively, systems, understanding of the time of the game, they don't get any of it. So it is funny to see their calamity of errors. But I'm not watching that tonight. I can't. I can't put myself through that. Tonight for me, there are two games that jump off the screen for 8 o'clock starts that I'm going to be watching. Didn't think I'd say this beginning of the season. Devils, Montreal tonight. New Jersey and Montreal is a really intriguing game this evening. Why? Well, New Jersey's won nine straight. They're riding high. Jesper Bratt, Nico Heischer on pace for a career high in points. Jack Hughes is playing well. Vitek Vanacek's got one loss on the season. Lindy Ruff, they're apologizing to Lindy Ruff at the arena in Newark because he's been so damn good. New Jersey can't run. I can't ride high enough. They are kicking ass, taking names. Dougie Hamilton rejuvenated, worth the nine million bucks. Not, but still playing good hockey. Ryan Graves doing his thing. It's just all coming out New Jersey so far in this first part of the season. Miles Wood, Nick Bastian, they got a good team down there. They can play any which way. Skill. They'll batter you, and they got decent goaltending from the guys that they have. The the opposition, Montreal. Montreal gives you a game every night. Montreal will give you a game every night, and they might find a way to win it. They beat Pittsburgh the other night. They they battled the whole time. Caulfield's extremely fun to watch. Suzuki's been so much better, and you're seeing it. He's getting better and better by the game, getting more and more confidence. He's, he's getting better and better. So, Jake Allen's been really good. I, uh, I, love, I love this team. I love this what they're doing. In, in Montreal, they, they have a tough out every night. And that's something that if you're a developing team, you're not that talented, that's something that you can have some pride about. That you can say, you know what? We gave that team a tough, we gave that team a go tonight. That is something you put on your mantle. And they're winning these games. As I said, they're finding ways to win. So I, I'm curious, I, I, um, I, I'm looking forward to that game tonight. Another one for me is Stars Lightning. Lightning have had a tough start. Doesn't surprise me. They played a lot of hockey, as I've talked about before. Vasilevsky hasn't been that good. Their depth, they're starting to work in new pieces. Herbix on the back end is playing, coming up from Syracuse. They're promoting him from within. He's having success. Hedman, Hedman's been banged up a little bit. Sergachev's start, they're starting to play better, I think, in Tampa a little bit. They're starting, they, they crushed. Washington on Sunday night, so they get have a little momentum off that. So I think the Ning, I have no worries yet about them you know, missing the playoffs or not finding. I, they deserve that level of respect because of what they've done over the last five years. 
The Stars, on the other hand, I thought the Stars would be a good team this year. I had them making the playoffs, no doubt about it. Pavelski, Robertson, Hints are still on this team, last time I checked. Jamie Benn is, will compete with you. Their back end is still very solid. And they have one of the best young goaltenders in net. And what I'll say about Peter DeBoer is he goes into different situations and his teams play more tactically strong than the opposing head coach did. Rick Bonus got a little sloppy, I think, in, in Dallas. This team plays structured. They play well. And defensively, they are sound. He will wear off on those teams eventually, but he has success the second he gets to a location. But to me, when you have elite skill, you got Joe Pavelski, who's 38, but still really good. You have Jason Robertson, who's one of the great young wingers. Rupe Hintz, who's just a guy who's not going to give up on the puck and will fight you for it tooth and nail. You're going to have success. Miro Heiskin in the back end. S.L. Endell, who I like a lot as well. And as I mentioned, Jake Ottinger's a stud in between the pipes. Next great young American goaltender. Spencer Knight had the hype. Ottinger has already surpassed him at just, I believe, 22 years of age. These two teams are, are, are both good teams. I think they'll both be playoff teams. You only see Western Eastern play twice a season. That makes you want to tune in for me. Stars and Lightning, intriguing also, Wild and Predators. That's a 9 o'clock start tonight. Kaprizov is must-see TV. Every night he's doing something incredible for Minnesota. They're, they haven't found their game yet. I still don't think they're a great team. The Preds haven't either. They're really they're mucking it up a little bit. They're still they're trying to weave their way into this season, trying to find some kind of consistency. But the Minnesota Kaprizov is worth the, worth the price of admission. That's, that's what I'll say about him. He's... So, so fun to watch. So those are my games tonight. You also get the lease game. They got, they got, uh, they're in Pittsburgh. Matt Murray will return from long-term IR. First start since opening night. That is interesting, but I saw Maple Leafs in Pittsburgh play four days ago. Game wasn't that intriguing. I'll, I'll watch some of it tonight, but it's not on top, top of mind for me personally. Also, now you got NBA. You got Pelicans, Memphis. That's a good little ball game. Sacramento. My Kings play Brooklyn tonight as well in the nightcap. It's hearing from Seamus. He's running a little late from work, so he'll be back on um, next week, maybe later this week. Just don't want to push it, stretch it too far, and he's he's had a long day himself, so I don't want to make him do any more. But tomorrow we'll be back here on To The Point. We'll recap everything. Tonight's games in the National Hockey League. We'll talk some NBA tomorrow. Any other news and notes? As I mentioned, Ben Murray will be on the show Thursday. So we'll, we'll get into some NFL storylines. But fun show today. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Enjoy the rest of your evening. We'll talk to you tomorrow here on To The Point.